0: From the Rosie studios of Rodeo Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another viral episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. There's a rose disease making the rounds that's causing serious consternation. On today's show, I'll reveal how I accidentally conquered this allegedly invincible rose rosette virus when it struck my own garden. Plus, a United Nations researcher comes to the Lehigh Valley and your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and ridiculously rarified ramifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you beating the worst rose disease on the planet with a pair of pruners, right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, welcoming, welcoming, welcoming you to another of our fabulous hybrid presentations. All the phone calls today are new, but the question of the week is a vitally important one that aired right around this time, last year so you won't want to miss it and you won't it's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588 lisa welcome to you bet your garden thank you mike thank you for having me on well thank you for being had lisa where are you I am in East Brunswick, New Jersey,
1: right outside of Rutgers University.
0: Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, you should be able to get a lot of help from them. Rutgers is pretty good. I've actually been a guest lecturer at their gardener's school. They hold, I don't know if they still hold it, but um, it used to be in the summertime.
1: Yes, I've gone to many of their um, lectures, and I've gone to many of their Earth Center activities. Mm -hmm. and. Nobody can answer answer my asparagus
0: <laughs> And that's why you're calling the big man. Yes, all right, so, um, okay, so you're in the garden state., uh, tell us about your asparagus problem. let me let me guess. It's either weeds or it's asparagus beetles.
1: Your second one is correct. I do ding, have ding, lots ding. of weeds, right. but I know if I just keep after them, I will win the battle but I am losing significantly to the asparagus beetle.
0: They are a and tough pest, yeah.
1: I've done many things, but I some things I know you're going to go, no, 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 I shouldn't have done.
0: What did but you do, you bad girl?
1: <sighs> I I listened, actually, independent. I've even been traveling to local farmers and begging them for help.
0: Okay, I don't want to um, hear excuses. Confess. That, well, that
1: was a confess, I used
0: seven. What do you think? Um, what do you think, organic robot? Danger, DJ Will
1: Ro Robinson. My sensors <laughs> indicate an intruder is present. Danger, DJ Will Ro Robinson.
0: You've been <laughs> condemned by the organic robot.
1: <laughs> I know. Oh my god, um, that
0: stuff is but you know, that, that the Beatles thrive on that. It's like Flintstone's vitamins to them.
1: I think that's exactly what happened, because here's the thing. Let me start at the beginning. I have a sixteen by four foot raised asparagus patch. Oh, that's perfect. Um, so
0: you can reach into the center without stepping in.
1: Exactly. Excellent. Um I now <laughs> I didn't build it myself.
0: Mm-hmm. I had a young oh local more landscaper. excuses here. I know, but I had um, Lisa. Do you I, have a, a young guy? Do you have a personal ownership problem here? You know. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. I uh, no, I don't. No, no, this is my
1: garden. <laughs> But he worked for the local farmer, so Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, let me see what I can get. So he got some asparagus from the local farmer, and he put it in my bed. And, you know, it it was doing really well the first year. But then the second year came, which was last year, Mm -hmm. and um, I got these asparagus beetles. Mm Uh, now I did the research online. I listened to your show every week, mm-hmm. um, and I sat there with the tweezers and I was pulling and pulling. And it's sixteen by four foot. I was losing. Right. Okay. So that's it. A- I bought ladybugs. That did nothing.
0: Uh, no, no. <laughs> ladybugs. Up- ladybugs eat soft-bodied pests.
1: Yeah, they ended up in my neighbor's pole.
0: <laughs> oh um, God! This story gets sadder every moment. <laughs> Yes. All right. So
1: then I resorted to spraying dawn on the asparagus. That did nothing. That's when I asked the local farmers. They said use seven. Mm-hmm. And I ended up doing that three times last summer to no avail. All right. So finally in you the fall, have to cutting say, it all down and burning.
0: You have to say 14 Hail Marys, eight <laughs> Our Fathers, and three perfect acts of contrition, one for each spray. Okay. okay, and make sure you dispose of any leftovers at your local hazardous waste disposal event. Okay, so okay. i got a couple of good choices for you here. Uh, this bed is manageable. How close is it to electricity and a water supply?
1: Um, I have access to both of those. It's probably about a good 20 feet from electric. I could run an extension cord easily, okay. and water... I have a hose and an irrigation system.
0: Okay. Uh, do you have chickens by any chance? <laughs> no. Do any of your thing. neighbors keep chickens?
1: No. We're in a very tight, suburban, okay.
0: All right. no The wild only reason animals. I was going to suggest that is J.I. Rodale used to vacuum his asparagus beetles off of his asparagus and then dump them in with the chicken feed, and the chickens went nuts. So oh, that's wow. that's the Philadelphia style. You don't just solve the problem. You get even.
1: Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. That's so, why I burned them.
0: <laughs> so if you don't have one in the house already, buy a cheap canister vacuum with a long extension wand. And sometimes you can find real good ones, like the old Electrolux in a vacuum shop or a thrift shop or something like that but I know you can go buy a, you know, a modern plastic one online for like 40 bucks or something like that. So okay. but you definitely want a canister vacuum and you definitely want a long wand. And then when they first show up, you're just gonna go out and vacuum your asparagus in the morning when they're um, moving slowly. And just keep doing that and that way any eggs the first generation lays will not be able to hatch into working adults. If you do this really relentlessly for the first couple of weeks after they show up, the problem may vanish. Now, wow. if you do that, make sure the machine is still running when you take uh, when you open the back to take the bag out and then immediately put duct tape over the top of the bag. And then if you want to do this the Philadelphia story way, you leave that bag sit out in the sun and you taunt them like every half hour. Oh, you picked the wrong patch to show up in now, didn't you? How you feeling there? Nice. Are you warm enough? Good. The other option uh, would be to go out with a pressure washer and blast the rats there is an old saying that goes back, oh geez, generations in the organic gardening movement that water is the best pesticide. Sharp streams of water are the perfect answer um, for slow moving pests like asparagus beetles. They don't, you know, they don't get away as fast as Japanese beetles. No. And finally, I would go on the Gardens Alive website and look up their BTG, their New Organic uh, 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 for Japanese beetles. And it works on a lot of other beetles as well. Um, and they'll have a list of the beetles that it is EPA registered to uh, eliminate. And they have, um, they have a, a granular thing to stop the grubs in the soil which actually may also work for you, but the spray is for adult beetles. And it's just a version of BT. It's a new strain of BT called BTG. Oh, I think they call it yes, of course. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just don't say it three yes. times.
0: Yeah. So okay. you now- got a possibility with Beetlejuice. You got definite probabilities with the uh, pressure washer and the vacuum cleaner that's very old school very effective
1: I have a question with the pressure washer would that destroy my my ferns that are growing up
0: it might like, it it might give the ferns a hard time but you're going to have so many of them you don't need them all okay and of course you know do the Martha Stewart way you know spray a small area and see what happens and if it's bad don't it's, do it yeah. All right? Okay. Okay. All right. Thank well, you. Good luck to you.
1: Do you have time for one more quick question?
0: Does it make your pea smell funny? Yes.
1: Oh, that I know. <laughs> I think I planted my garlic too early and the greens have already popped up. No problem whatsoever.
0: Oil. No. That's uh, okay. Garlic okay. growers are planting their garlic much earlier, some in late August, always by September. They never wait till October anymore. Sometimes the shoots come up in the fall. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they come up in a warm winter. Sometimes they don't. Your garlic will not only be fine, but the fact that you put it in early means you're going to get larger bulbs.
1: Oh, wonderful. I thought I was going to have no garlic at all.
0: No, no, don't worry. Garlic is easy. It's comedy that's hard. All right, get out of here, Elise. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It is springtime, cats and kittens. Time to go out there and get your hands in the dirt, get those tomatoes and potatoes in the ground. Do you have questions about how to do that? Of course you do. So what do you do with those questions? You call 833-727-9588 and say, You Bet Your Garden. Help me out, Mike, and I will. Donna, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
2: Hi, Mike.
0: Hello, glad Donna. Glad to be here again. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to have you here. Have you been on before?
2: I have. Okay.
0: And wh- I'm
2: the tomato lady from Avalon, New Jersey.
0: Where it is cooler by a mile, they say.
2: Absolutely. And today it is in particular.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's still early, Donna, and not tomato planting time yet. <laughs> what can we do you for?
2: Okay. I have a problem because I have a fig tree that a a friend of mine had had given to me for a birthday present three years ago. Mm -hmm. I planted it, and it is now about seven feet tall and about seven feet wide. And the question is, how should I prune it?
0: Well, uh, has it been protected over winter?
2: This year, no. Other winters, yes.
0: Okay. And uh, how does it look? Uh, do it th- looks fabulous. Okay, so you don't think it, it, it in, in many ways it was a fairly mild winter, especially down the shore where you're going to be um, more moderate anyway because of the ocean so close by. I should mention to people around the country who don't know that Avalon is one of the New Jersey shore towns. And um, climate, as climate as you get close to the ocean, it takes the highs and lows away from you. Yeah, no, it's true. So but here's this, here's, the, here's the deal. Um, in the spring, when you start to see new growth on your fig, you can go and you should prune out any damaged areas. There's got to be a little bit of winter damage at the top or something like that. So you want to make sure you prune out any dead parts. Really, I mean, if the, if the fig came through winter looking great without being wrapped, um, you feel free to prune away anything that you don't like the look of. And okay. Are you interested in trying to control its size, or you just want to get the figs?
2: No, well, I want both. But, mm-hmm. but, yes, I'd like to control the size because it's, I, I planted it right next to our vegetable garden. And, you know, these things, they can get to be monsters.
0: Yes, yes, and so it could shade the garden, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so you yes, say I am
2: interested. Go you, ahead.
0: You say it's around seven feet tall now, It right? is. Okay. Okay. I would, um, in addition to cleaning away any dead wood, any parts that don't look nice, I would take a foot off the top. Okay. And bring it down to six feet. And okay. then see how it produces. See how it looks at the end of the season. Um, if it grows to eight feet, you know, feel free to take it down to six feet again next spring. Okay. So, and even if nothing's wrong, just reduce its height a little bit, or go around and prune little bits. Pruning is going to stimulate new growth, and it's going to stimulate the fruiting response.
2: Okay. So, you know, now that we're at spring, uh, is it t- still too cold to start to prune it, or
0: what do well, you think? Well, uh, you know, my roses have not yet greened up. Now, I'm in a colder climate than you are. Um, yeah. Do you have any spring bulbs in your yard?
2: Yes, I do, and my tulips and uh, are coming, and the daffodils are in full bloom.
0: Daffodils are in full bloom. I'd say you're probably safe to do it now. Okay. Sounds but, great. you know, if, if, if you want to do a big job, do it over a couple of weeks. Do some this weekend. Do a little bit more next weekend.
2: Okay. I love it. All right. This, this, let me tell you, this this was a gift. She took it from a cutting, from a, from a fig tree that she had. And uh, last year, we literally had hundreds
0: of figs. Excellent. Excellent. Fig trees love rooting. Um, they are the easiest plant to root. And when they're in an area like yours where the climate is moderated by the ocean, they tend to do really well. That's a lot like their, their native home.
2: Well, I thank you so much, and uh, we'll take care of it. And uh, stay tuned for uh, next,
0: next year's question. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and report once again that so far none of my upcoming appearances, including the Allentown Public Library on April 27th and two separate appearances in May in Virginia, have been canceled so far. But who knows what's going to happen? So keep an eye on the events section of our website for the latest details. But don't check it just yet, because we'll be right back with an amazing interview and more of your amazing phone calls. I'm amazing Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a mostly new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by Rodale Institute. Rodale Institute is hosting an online workshop, Compost Like a Pro, on Thursday, April 16th at 2 p.m., Learn how to make compost at home from the global leader in organic agriculture. Details and information at rodaleinstitute.org. Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. It is time to welcome our special guest and my old friend, Sebastian Kretschmer, who is in the Lehigh Valley on behalf of the United Nations researching organic food systems. It's part of the One Planet Network from the UN Food and Agricultural and UN Environmental Programs. Um, And somewhere in there is the University of Kassel in Germany. I've known Sebastian for 15 years. We've worked on major projects together. And I think what he's doing here in the Lehigh Valley is darned interesting. So, Sebastian, welcome to my TV show here and my radio show and my kitchen and everything like that.
3: (laughs) So nice to be with you. The U.N.
0: is researching organic food systems around the planet because they're the U.N., right? Mm -hmm. And the only place they're researching in the United States is southeastern Pennsylvania. (laughs) How how did that get picked as, Mm -hmm. like, the example of um, organic agriculture and consumerism in the states?
3: Good question. We were were bouncing around different examples, like Vermont was one of them. We're looking at local food systems where there is a a visible organic presence of different stakeholders. We were looking at California. Even the Midwest came up. And then in the end, I nominated Southeast PA as a, a case in this global case study.
0: Uh, Because you lived in Pennsylvania, you were born in Germany, Mm -hmm. and you're back in Germany now, Mm -hmm. but you were here in the States for 15 years, right?
3: That's right. I ran a CSA, started it from scratch, and uh, also started the Philadelphia um, Prison Project, the Orchard Program. And, uh, yeah, did a bunch of stuff in so this So let, let's go
0: back there. Before we talk about what you're doing here, let's, let's talk about your resume. Uh, because mm-hmm. you were on my show when it was out of Philly about mm-hmm. a number of these different things. And when you say you started a CSA, that was, this was out of a very famous uh, farm in the area. This was Kimberton,
3: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in some ways that was the starter cell of the organic work in this country. It was the first biodynamic farm in the U.S., at the old Kimberton Waldorf School, as a thousand acres of contiguous biodynamic land. And in 2003, I started a biodynamic CSA there.
0: And we, I guess we met when you asked me to come out and give a talk about beneficial insects to your interns and volunteers at the end of their season with
3: you, right? That was so cool, remember that? It was a beautiful summer evening. You sat on the steps of the...
0: Yeah, I wasn't going to go inside I like know, you had planned. I yeah, said, we're having school outside it was tonight. was
3: so nice. I had started an apprenticeship program, like European-style, two-year apprenticeship program of theory and praxis, and part of the theory modules was to, to have special guests talking about special topics. <laughs> and
0: instead you got me. <laughs> and uh, the work you did for the prison system in Philadelphia... And you helped establish an orchard, which is probably the hardest area of Mm. plants to care for organically.
3: It's a huge prison complex with like over 6,000 inmates at the time. Um, Awesome guys, you know, that all have the farming in their blood. And in some ways, it was a sort of inspiration, you know, for the guys to partake in this sort of sustainability journey of organic farming as a way to... Uh, learn new skills and to, you know, be part of that beautiful community. And the site was remarkable. It's just on the prison campus still, abutting the Penny uh, Creek uh, and the uh, Fairmount Park. And uh, so, yeah, we turned this old sort of shooting range and just sort of weird usage site uh, from the past into this vibrant orchard. And then
0: finally... There's a project that I guess I roped you Mm -hmm. into. Um, I have a soft spot for the Salvation Army from Mm -hmm. my dad's experiences during the war. Mm -hmm. And I was contacted by them that they were building a new facility called the Kroc Center Mm -hmm. in a very blighted area of North Philadelphia. True. And they were contemplating having a garden, and I went out and spoke with them, and I wound up being a fundraiser for mm-hmm. them. And then, when the time came, you and I and a few other people actually designed the garden and and mm-hmm. you know supervised the installation. Mm-hmm. You and I put up the the, the hoop house, right? Mm-hmm. We because uh, they were doing it wrong. I know they were they were putting the plastic on wrong, and you and I had both. Uh, Stretch plastic over hoop yeah. houses, so. Yeah. So now you're working on this project uh, for two different branches of the UN. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I know you're in Southeast Pennsylvania this week to um, essentially go back and tell them what's happening in the United States. Mm-hmm. Will you be traveling to other parts of the world as well? or oh, are different yeah. researchers doing that?
3: For sure, I um, have taken on six. Out of the 12 countries where we're researching these local organic food systems. So I'm doing India, um, Uganda, um, Colombia, Ecuador, Sweden, and the US. Okay,
0: yeah. What do those have in common? You know, geez, I don't know. Must be a letter
3: in there, right? That's the right question. What do they have in common? Because that's the point of the research to find patterns. What do these organic food systems, when looking through the actor's lens, we're looking from primary production, from the farmer's perspective, processors, traders, retailers, the consumption community of eaters, from science or sometimes municipal support, um, so all these different stakeholders in these local food systems we're interviewing them and, uh, and see what they have to say, what makes their world go around, what, what makes them tick, you know, what, what drives them, what are the motivations, how are the relations uh, between the actors and uh, most importantly what outcomes can be perceived uh, both in their personal lives but also in the community and in the ecosystem from the engagement of this uh, with this organic work
0: and you from your time spent in pennsylvania you were more familiar with the philadelphia area and the area around phoenixville Mm -hmm. in the suburbs Mm -hmm. whereby i've lived here in the lehigh valley Mm -hmm. um half my life at this point perhaps more than half my life and over time, of course, I've gotten to know the the players or the actors. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we first started uh, to broadcast the show out of uh, out of Bethlehem mm-hmm. here in these studios, early on, one of our first guests uh, was um, the director of a place called the Seed Farm, where we're going to go nice. after we're done doing the show today. And the Seed Farm, which is it's. it's it was ridiculous because I'd lived here for 20 years thinking that it was a place that grew out seed. I knew it was organic so mm-hmm. I figure oh they're doing organic sweet corn seed or this or that. No! Mm-hmm. Um, they're growing farmers. That they're semi-permanent. There's a woman who's mm-hmm. growing cutting flowers there. Mm-hmm. Um, and She doesn't have any space to do it where she lives. Yeah. So she learned how to do it there and now she's renting the yeah. land. and and she's a huge success. Mm-hmm. And there are many other models. And the one that has been most successful here in the Lehigh mm-hmm. Valley is the farmer's market model. I wish Sal Panto had been here. He is the mayor of Easton. It had always had a farmer's market. I can remember they uh, invited me to come be the keynote speaker at, I I think it almost seems impossible until you realize how old this part of the country is. I think it was their 400th anniversary. Mm -hmm. You know, that puts parts of Europe to shame. Um, But this, the farmers market was there and it was kind of floundering. And then investments were made in it, new farmers were brought in. I think at the same time the public's interest in Mm -hmm. not only buying fresh food and organic food, But meeting the farmer, this was during Mm -hmm. the era of the face of the food. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't wasn't that the food was simply labeled or anything like that. You're interacting with the people Mm -hmm. who grew it. And these farmers learned amazing social skills rather than just sell Mm -hmm. what was there. They said, oh, you know, have you ever tasted these Mm -hmm. tiny little mini cucumbers? And they do some sampling and boom, you know, all of a sudden they'd be selling out of those little cucumbers. Yeah. You know, in the first 10 minutes they were open and it has expanded dramatically. It mm-hmm. is actually a draw. It's a destination. I realize it's not exactly in the organic um, method, but they have a festival there every year called Bacon Fest. Mm that attracts tens of thousands of people it just turns the town upside down and single-handedly this farmers market has not only revitalized a community but an entire city mm-hmm. easton is now a cool mm-hmm. place to go restaurants sprang up around the farmers market mm-hmm. um it, it i think it's one of the prime examples of what you should take back to the u.n
3: mm-hmm. for sure and the this good food revolution has um, many emergent properties. If you look at food systems and how the different drivers that go into it uh, create synergies that allow the system to display a system behavior. And the sort of globalized, anonymous food system has rather lousy behavior, you know (laughs) what I mean. But these local, vibrant food systems, they display very intelligent behavior. And so um, this is, uh, you know, one of the beautiful outcomes. Also what you mentioned, the farmer's sort of social status, uh, seriously uh, rising uh, uh, like that, being a a local hero. Because farmers, after all, they want to actually work with nature. And sooner or later, when you participate in the local food movement, you want to be, you know, as ecological and regenerative with your farming methods anyway. Right, So that's what I mean. It's, it's the, these uh, sustainable food systems around the world that actually display a pattern. And uh, what we're really interested in uh, researching with and, and for the UN is to, uh, to see how food systems can contribute to this new agenda for sustainable development expressed in these so-called SDGs the Sustainable Development Goals. It well, Sounds to be, like
0: a disease. No, they used <laughs> to be
3: known as the Millennium Goals. And yeah. now they're like these really cool emblems of the 17 big humanity goals, beautiful goals, you know. Very
0: much so. One mm. thing I remember back in, um, back when I was editor of Organic Gardening in the 90s, is it became clear we didn't need studies Hmm. but i you know spent a lot of time in center city philly Hmm. and every community garden and i think city of philadelphia has Hmm. more community gardens per square mile than any other place in the world and the property values went up
3: Hmm.
0: you know which is a mixed bag but wherever there was a community garden people wanted to live nearby. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's open a cafe across mm-hmm. the street. I bet it would do good. Yeah. Maybe a little restaurant. Maybe yeah. we can buy produce, the extra produce from yeah, the people exactly. who are growing over there. Super, yeah. And very much like mm-hmm. Easton, what I hope you're going to find mm-hmm. is the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Is Because I, I don't believe Easton had a lot of money to mm-hmm. invest in the revitalization mm-hmm. of the market. Mm-hmm. So the return on their investment, is beyond anything I think anybody in the finance world could mm-hmm. anticipate.
3: Yeah. Oh, what I find so beautiful, too, is that it's this notion of uh, food sovereignty, right? People actually connecting You with... wear
0: a crown while you're farming? What is that?
3: No, it's, the, it's a sense of, you know, um, food traditions, traditional diets, mm-hmm. and connecting with the agriculture around you. The idea of a food shed, you know, and it's uh, that's where you
0: keep your hammers and uh, kitchen forks and stuff.
3: It's the idea of actually resilience, you know, and and creating uh, communities of practice where the cultural identity actually grows with also the sort of agrarian landscapes. And more and more cities around the world are now realizing that food is the great convener, and food is actually becoming a matter of policy. New inclusive food system governance mechanisms are taking place, actually pioneered by the US, those so-called food policy councils that began in the 90s. New governance mechanisms where the farmer and the chef and, and you know the mayor sit around round tables and discuss how they can create a more sustainable food system.
0: And it is that sense of community. We were talking in my kitchen mm. earlier today. When you have a party, you can't get people out of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. It's where they convene. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you chase them, they, they keep coming back to the kitchen. The, know. You know, food's yeah. at the center of everything.
3: Mm. It's so true. Food is really what connects us all, you know. And if you consider all the uh, so called Negative externalities of our food system, right? Uh, you realize what organic and other sustainable practices actually contribute uh, in terms of, you know, not contaminating the groundwater, not emitting as many, you know, nasty emissions and toxicities in, in, into the atmosphere, and taste better. And taste better, thank you, and <laughs> make you happier, probably yeah. too.
0: All right, Sebastian, where do you go from here?
3: Actually, from here uh, we'll be touring the local uh, PA communities some more.
0: No, no, I mean uh, countries.
3: Oh yeah. Well, the next will be Ecuador, the okay. city of Quito, who uh, actually uh, the mayor is uh, has set up a rather enlightened uh, municipality driven task force and so they've uh, ramped up the uh, urban farming and it's uh, really beautiful mostly driven by organic
0: and when do you have to uh, finish up your report for the UN
3: we have a year's time okay. you know to compile all these stories and to extract you know this sort of beautiful uh, pattern that we want to Uh, present to the U.N. as sort of lessons learned or inspirations.
0: Your personal website where people can find out Mm -hmm. what you're doing, learn a little bit more about you, Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. onevillagefarm.org, right? That's right. All right. Well, we wish you luck. We anticipate your report. Maybe we'll have you back Mm -hmm. when it's all done. Absolutely safe travels.
3: Thank you so much for the opportunity. You're one of my
0: heroes.
3: (laughs) Well, thank you. That's very kind.
0: Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that there can't be a quarantine on nature. So if you're hunkering down at home, I want you to spend a lot of time outside with your plants. It may be the only group of 10 or more that it's legal to be with. But don't go outside just yet, because we'll be right back to beat the Rose Rosette virus and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Welcome back to You Bet Your Card from the studios of Brodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens, in just a little bit. I'm going to tell you a story about how I accidentally cured my own roses from rose rosette virus, which is, was, and can be considered To be fatal. I didn't know that at the time, so I fixed it. I'll tell you how after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Alan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. How you doing, Mike? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. How are you, sir? Uh, We're doing well, amongst all what's going on lately, so. Exactly. God, thank God for gardens and nature. Yes. Where are you, Al?
4: Uh we're located in Tullytown, which is a small town in Lower Bucks County, Pennsylvania.
0: Okay, very good. Tullytown. I like the name of that. Rem- yeah,
4: we're uh we're we're the summer home of uh, of uh, Mr. William Penn.
0: Oh, okay. So you are in the middle of Penn's silver Sylvan Acres then?
4: We're, correct. We're not far from that at all.
0: Okay. Very good. All right. What can we do you for?
4: Well, what we did is we had a bunch of evergreens in our front flower beds, mm-hmm. which we took out. And uh, we would like to put in flowers. But the problem of it is is that I, during the summertime, our house faces west, so I don't get the sun until, like, afternoon. Right. And uh, we're trying to see what we can get to put in there, flower-wise.
0: So, but in the summertime, let's say the sun does get there around noontime, you're going to get photosynthesis for a good six, seven hours.
4: Uh, possibly, yes.
0: You know, the, the western sun is mind-blowingly beautiful, But it is not as hot as the morning sun, as the eastern sun. But I think you have a lot of choices. What do you like? What do you want? What do you want? Um, What we would
4: like to have is uh, something that's going to bloom the majority of the summer.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: You know, I don't want the azalea for the simple reason of it. it. It comes and it goes. Yeah. We'd like to see the flowers out there most of the summer,
0: okay. How big an area are we talking about?
4: Uh, approximately maybe twenty eight feet long and maybe six feet wide.
0: okay, and um you at least want the centerpieces to be perennial, correct, okay, so i'm going... yeah, uh,
4: we're we're okay. kind of getting tired of uh the annual thing of spending you know between six seven hundred dollars a year on the annuals and then we want to put something in there permanently and try to eliminate some of that cost.
0: 6 seven hundred I want you to come to my nursery, okay <laughs> you, know. you sound like a player.
4: Oh I love I love putting flowers up around for the summer, believe me.
0: Okay, so what I'm going to suggest is you install a butterfly garden. A uh, lot of the butterfly plants um, flower for long periods over the course of the summer, and I'm betting most of them are going to get by with your son. You know, really, the only way to find out is to give it a shot. So mm-hmm. I'm going to suggest things like, well, Tithonia is not <clears throat> a perennial. Tithonia is an annual. Um, but I would recommend you still put it out there. It is uh, also called Mexican sunflower. It has these beautiful sunflower-like blooms, and it attracts monarchs in the fall. It attracts every butterfly out there. There's Mm -hmm. also the ubiquitous butterfly bush. Um, But I would urge you to... um, uh, Do you use a local garden center? Yes. I would urge you to check in with them, uh, tell them about your your light thing that's going on there, and say you wanna put in a long-term pollinator garden. Um, have you ever heard of the company Bluestone Perennials? No. They are a mail order firm, and their catalog is an education in planting. So if you request a catalog, they will have displays essentially of pollinator gardens, of shade gardens, and they only do perennials. So rather than me try to guess, because most of my plantings are either accidental or things companies sent me, but I think you have a great opportunity, if I'm envisioning this space correct, to have a great pollinator garden that would have a lot of life in it and uh the bluestone catalog will tell you what plants are going to do best and then i would encourage you to buy those plants at your local independent garden center
4: right okay,
0: okay. not not a direct a, answer an indirect answer no. but avoiding a wrong answer which
4: <laughs> yeah cuz the, the 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 landscaper guy that i used recommended something called auto lichen
0: Hmm, I'm not sure. I used to go out with his sister, but I don't know what the plant looks like. <laughs> but
4: uh, I started already. I got a couple of the of the milkweeds already. I'm oh, excellent. In.
0: Excellent. So, well, if you're going to plant I, milkweed, you got to plant Tithonia because that closes the circle. The milkweed okay. attracts the adults when they fly in. They lay their eggs. Then you see these amazing caterpillars. Then very distinctive chrysalises, and then the monarchs emerge. And at that point, they want to feed on the Tithonium, because that it right. is one of the most rich pollen and nectar plants. And you'll never be sorry about growing it. You'll be amazed at how gorgeous it is. And if you deadhead it constantly, you know, taking off the faded flowers, it blooms like crazy all season long. Oh, great. Great. All right, man. Okay. I appreciate that very
4: much. Thank you for the uh, the info.
0: Yeah, and check out Bluestone, because they'll make much better recommendations um, than I can. They've been in the business a long time, and every gardener I know who uses them has amazing respect for them.
4: Yeah, I'll definitely, definitely try that uh, tonight when I get home.
0: All right. Good luck to you, sir. All
4: right, Mike. Thank
0: you very much for the information. My pleasure. Good luck. All right, as promised, it is time for the question of the week. Rose rosette virus, can it be beaten? Back in 2012, Leanne in Burlington, New Jersey wrote, I have two 25-year-old roses, and they have wild areas of unusual bunching and twisted and distorted leaf growth. I googled it, and it looks like witch's broom. What, if anything, uh, can I do? Also from 2012, Gabrielle in Newtown, PA wrote, I've had a gorgeous climbing rose in front of my house for over 10 years with no abnormal growth, putting out white to pale pink roses in abundance. But this weekend I noticed weird clusters with differently shaped leaves, color, and growing habit. I cut out those areas where this occurred. Do you know what this is? Okay. Okay. So why am I using questions from 2012? Two reasons. The first, that is I had to search back that far to find people who obviously had the problem that is today's topic. There were a lot of recent questions that might have been about Rose Rosette virus, but those two nailed it. Second, there were a lot of similar questions from that year. And I suspect that this time frame is when the disease really exploded in the mid-Atlantic region. And third, if you saw my office, you'd realize that seven years isn't a long time for me to get around to doing anything. Yes, that is three reasons. I wanted you to know up front that you're about to take advice from a guy who can't count. To three. All seriousness aside. The condition is called rose rosette virus. It's been around since the 1940s, but has occurred with frightening frequency over the last 10 years or so. Witch's broom is a perfect generic description as those words refer to a deformity that can take many shapes and affect many woody plants. Witch's brooms are often caused by a disease or by mites. And in this case, the scientific consensus is that both are to blame. A tiny little mite, whose name I cannot pronounce, blows in on the wind, feeds on the plant tissue, and transmits a virus that causes the weird, distorted growth. Now, this is not uncommon in the garden. Many insects, like the cucumber beetle, do more damage transmitting disease than they do by feeding. Oh, and for the record, yes, I know that mites are not insects. They are arachnids, like ticks and Spider-Man. 2012 was also right around when I noticed this growth on one of my roses, a French landscape rose that was marketed under the name Flower Carpet. The flowers it produced were small, but one well-established plant would typically pump out thousands of them over the course of a summer. One of my favorite tricks was, and still is, to give somebody a bouquet on a branch. Three dozen or so roses blooming on a single stem. Very cool. I also have a lot of wine berries, delicious relatives of raspberries that grow wild all through the mid-Atlantic, growing in the same area. And at first, I foolishly thought that the plants had somehow crossed, that I had wineberry canes growing on my roses. Pretty soon, I realized this was probably as wrong as most of my answers on a true or false test, so I pruned off the weird-looking stuff, unaware that the condition is considered fatal and that I was supposed to put out the whole plant in the trash and call it bad names. The next season, the weird shoots came back, but this time I pruned them off right away. The following year, maybe one cane showed the problem signs. Snip, snip, and that was it. Yes. It seems too simple, but in my garden, simple often works. Then, last summer, I was invited to give a talk in Fayetteville, North Carolina. One of my sponsors, a hospital group called First Health, had a, quote, healing garden for people and their families experiencing serious medical issues and a, quote, hospice garden in another location. The healing garden looked great. There were roses here and there, but they all looked fine. Now the hospice garden was itself in hospice. Designed to be a, quote, rose garden, it was wall-to-wall roses, all of which were infected to some degree, and I was asked for suggestions. I said to dig everything out. Rose bushes that were completely infested were to be destroyed. Bushes with small symptoms were to be pruned and healed in in another location, temporarily planted. Then the crappy wood mulch in all the beds was to be removed and replaced with the yard waste compost that helps roses thrive. Then healthy roses were to be slowly reintroduced, but the design could no longer be all roses all the time. Each rose had to be surrounded by a lot of airflow and then something that wasn't a rose, like a cute little evergreen or some nice statue. No roses touching each other. And have a fast hand with the pruners if odd shapes show up. No miticides. The best answer for bad mites is not nasty poisonous chemicals, but the good mites that go after the bad guys like the Lone Ranger in the Old West. So don't kill the good guys, uh, the good arachnids. More airspace, more diversity, both in types of plants and types of roses. Compost mulch, no wood. No chemical fertilizers, which themselves can cause rapid and abnormal growth. You got the problem? Let's try that and see what happens. Well, that sure was some controversial advice about a supposedly incurable rose disease, now wasn't it? Luckily for those of you who wish to read it over in detail, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to rosette my roses if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time, but you, You can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. You'll find all of this contact information at our website, youbettsyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows, and our Priceless Podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Mel Brooks. I'm wearing a cardboard belt. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Northley. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tapia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell, our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen, our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer, our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Once again, let's hear a round of applause for Eric Werner running the camera again this week. (sighs) Zach Tatakwisneski, I have no idea where he is. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO, Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, is still safely sequestered in Aruba because, quote, no sacrifice is too great and it's the only place I can't be late for a meeting. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, out of town at an undisclosed location saying, hey, another three mojitos over here, poor favor. And if I can see you, I'll be back next week. You know, make it another three and put it on Tim's bill.
4: Hey, boy. Hey, boy. Where's the
0: ball? Where's the ball? Ready? Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy.
1: Loyal Partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org.
0: Can you have too much organic matter in your soil? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, I'll reveal how to naturally improve your earth without going overboard. Plus your fabulous phone calls.